If you're uh, visiting with us this morning, I want you to know that this is a family conversation and you're very much welcome in our living room this morning. But we are, over the next uh, four or five weeks, going to have some family meetings within this place. And we are doing that to see how we can be sacrificial in bringing more into Christ's kingdom. So more just like you will come to know Jesus Christ like you have. As I reflect back on the past two years of our ministry here in this location, I can only think of one term that God has done immeasurably more than we had ever dreamed. On that first Sunday that we moved in here uh, in January, I recognized that we were going to be outdreamt by God, that we didn't dream big enough. I never would have guessed that God would have given us the opportunity to serve and minister to so many just like you, but he, he has. And each week we see that people are coming to Christ and decisions are being made and that God has been able to do immeasurably more than we have been able to ask or to dream of. As a matter of fact, we look at it like the Apostle Paul did in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. I think about all the hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people whose lives have been changed, who have come to Jesus Christ and have been radically transformed, who've made deeper commitments to Christ right here in this room. And God has done immeasurably more than we have ever asked or imagined. And that's why over these next few weeks, I'm going to be challenging you and my family to be sacrificial on how we can expand the table so more can be fed the Word of God and so others can pull up a seat at the table and give their life over in a commitment like you have. God's calling us to do immeasurably more than we've ever dreamed or imagined. And we have high expectations for what God can do because He has done increasingly more than we had ever thought. Why wouldn't we believe that He's going to do increasingly more than we've ever imagined in the future of Bethany Christian Church? And your generosity and your sacrificial gifts are going to be needed so that immeasurably more can know Jesus Christ. So that this community can be won over for Christ. Not so that a building can be enhanced or additions can be built, but because of people like Bruce Alderson, Adam Robinson, Brandy Downs, Diane Richardson, and you. So I'm asking that you make a simple commitment with me today. That is that over the next few weeks, you plan on being in a worship service here at Bethany. That regardless of what the topic is or regardless of the challenges that are in front of you, that you don't give up on meeting and worshiping God in this place at the time that you've selected, 9 or 1045. Because over the next four weeks, we're going to look at some scripture that's biblically principled about how we can be generous and sacrificial to welcome more into the kingdom. Because the topic that we're discussing is going to be challenging. I understand that there's going to be some people that resist it and push back. This, this sermon series is going to be bringing into your life some spiritual tension that you haven't felt maybe in a long time. It's going to bring in some resistant points that you've held up to the gospel and to preaching on generosity and sacrificial giving that you haven't felt in a long time. I guarantee you that this sermon series is going to stretch you beyond where you've ever been stretched before. There'll be some anxiety in this room, some discomfort in this room. There'll be some defensiveness in this room, and there'll be some conviction in this room. I sound like a pharmaceutical commercial, right? 
I mean, warning, this series might cause spiritual tension, discomfort, and conviction. And if it lasts more than four hours, you need to call your doctor. But if giving is a normal act of your every week worship, which is about true of 60% of Christians living in the U.S., then this sermon series will be pretty simple for you. But no matter where you find yourself today, don't give up on worshiping the Lord and making that a priority of your week. The Bible's clear in what it has to say in the subject of finances. It's clear what it has to say in the subject of generosity and stewardship. Do you know there's about 500 verses of Scripture that deal with our faith on how we put our trust in the Lord? There's 500 so verses on how we should pray and how we should call out to the Lord and how He hears our cries. But you know there's 2,300 plus verses on how we should be generous with the things that God's entrusted to our care, especially things like finances and how we should manage it. Do you know that when Jesus taught in parables, 16 out of his 38 teachings on parables had to deal with financial matters and how we should manage it much wiser and how we should be generous back to the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus didn't preach those things because he was in need of money. Jesus preached those things so that we would be warned that it's money and financial matters that can take mastery over our heart the fastest than anything else in this world. Jesus thought about it often because he knew that we guard our heart in this area with some of the most protective measures than any other subject that Jesus teaches about. One of the teachings Jesus instructs us about our money is found in Matthew chapter 6. Would you look there with me? I think it's important to see the words of Jesus and not just hear them from the pulpit. Matthew chapter 6 in verse 19, the principle that Jesus taught has more to do with the heart than what it has to do with what's in your wallet. And I'm starting this series with this teaching because if we get this principle wrong, we're going to get everything else that's preached from this pulpit in the next few weeks wrong as well. This is an important principle. Matthew 6 verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is teaching this simple principle. What you invest in will define your passions. What you invest in is going to guide your passions. Notice how Jesus teaches us. He says, wherever or whatever you spend your money on, your heart's going to be attached to those things. So Jesus' teaching begins with a warning, a warning to be wise in the things that you spend your money on. Be wise with the things that you consider investments with your finances. And he goes on to say, it's wisest to spend your money on things that don't have mastery over you, that aren't possessional, that can't be taken from you. You know, there are very few investments in this world that are like that. I can't think of too many investments that have that guarantee not to rust or to wear out or not to be destroyed or stolen. Someone had done some research and said there's three things that are going to survive a nuclear holocaust. Three things that we should put our investment in. Cockroaches, Twinkies, and tough skin jeans. Now, I'm sure they were just joking about that, but there are, there are very few things in life that never rust, wear out, or destroy, or stolen. There is one investment, though, that I am completely aware of that fits that criteria. 
That's the investment into ministry and the investment into people. There's one investment that I am sure that will never rust, will never fade, will never be destroyed, will never be, dis- will never be stolen. That's an investment into God's kingdom. So this teaching can be broken down into three things. Number one, don't be selfish, Jesus teaches. Don't be selfish. Don't store up for yourself wealth just for yourself. Now that doesn't mean you can't have wealth. That doesn't mean that you can't have money in the bank. That just means don't just be doing it for yourself. Think of others. I have never seen a U-Haul fall in a hearse before. Don't let stuff hijack your heart. That's Jesus' stern warning. Do not, he starts with. Then secondly, he says, be wise in the things that you invest in. Invest into meaningful matters. And third, he says, your heart will follow your money. Now, we think it's always the opposite way around, that if we're convicted on something with our heart, then our our pocketbook's going to follow, but that's not true. Our heart will follow our money. The heart follows the investment. This is the core of Jesus' teaching right here in Matthew chapter 6. If you invest into a stock on the market, you're going to follow that stock. You're going to be online and watch it go up and down. You're going to check it out in the paper and see its ups and downs. And some of you in this room, you've invested so heavily into a stock that your mood and emotion changes. As the stock rises, you're pretty happy. But as if the stock falls, you get pretty down and depressed. Some of you have invested into cars. Maybe you've overstretched and invested into a car. A car that you really can't pay for, but because you put it on a five-year plan, you can now. And you take care of that car. You've always wanted that car. And then you drove too close to the coal bucket. And now you got a scratch on the hood. And you had that sinking gut feeling, I can't believe this has happened. My car, this is the one I always polish and take care of. And you've had a love affair with it, but maybe you've put an overemphasis on the car. Why? Because where your money's at, That's where your heart's going to be too. Some of you have taken so much pride in your home. I take pride in my house. I take pride in my yard. But sometimes we overly take pride in it. Maybe it's not just the house. Maybe it's the location of where we live as well. And have you seen how much money goes into taking care of a house? My my aunt gave me some good advice. We were renting a home the first two years of of marriage and we told her that we were going to, to buy a house. She'll say, you'll never have money again, is what she said. That's pretty good advice. She was right. I'm looking at all the things that are upcoming now in my house. I have to get my chimney replaced. I have to get my roof replaced. I've got so many things that have to be taken care of at my house. And my wife wants new floors. I said, we can't have new floors. We're entering a capital campaign. We can't do new floors. There are all sorts of stuff that when you tie yourself to the house and you want to take pride in it, maybe you overemphasize it, though, and it becomes your passion and your pride, and it's hijacked your heart. Trying to just keep up with the Joneses? Your heart's going to follow your money. If you want to know where your heart is, if you want to know what might have its allegiance, all you have to do is look at your transactions over the past few months. Check your bank account. Follow the money. That will tell you where your heart's at. Clothing, entertainment, education, food, habits, Vacation, children, ministry. So the challenge that Jesus lays on to us is to make investments into things that you want your heart to pursue. Make investments into things that you want your heart to pursue. Friends, there is nothing else in this world that I want my heart to pursue 
than God. And when I met Kelly, I found a winner because her heart pursues God. And when we linked up and we got married to one another, we had some simple conversations. But one of the conversations we had was we want to pursue God together. And we knew this principle early on in life that where your wallet is, there your heart will go also. And so we made some calculated financial decisions at a very young age when we were married that lived out this principle that Jesus taught. Our decision was to have no other financial commitment, no other financial commitment as long as we were married, bigger than the financial commitment we wanted to make to God in our offering. We didn't want our mortgage bigger monthly than our offering is monthly. We didn't want a car payment bigger than our giving is on a monthly basis. We didn't want anything else bigger. Educational bills, credit card debt, and so we got real strict with our budget to make sure that God found priority within it. Because there are only... There are only about three things I can think of in this world that are good investments. God's kingdom, Christ's church, and people. And that was going to become the priority of my budget because I want my heart to pursue the priorities of God. So with those three things in mind, the things that couldn't be destroyed, the things that couldn't be stolen, the things that couldn't rust out, the things I could lay up treasures on in heaven... On a limited budget, my wife and I, after prayerful consideration, looked into how we should spend our money, and we realized that we should spend our money on only God-ordained ventures. That was it. We don't give our money to politicians. We don't give our money to secular charities. We only give our finances to things that are going to be God-honoring, like Christ's church like mission work, like parachurch organizations that are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly and without remorse. So we invest primarily right here at Bethany Christian Church. And I want to let you in on the investment that we're making into the kingdom through Bethany because the heart follows money. At first, I was a bit reluctant to share what I'm about to share with you. Because we often think of our offering and our giving as being so personal and confidential. But friends, if that were really true, why is it that I let our local bankers look over how much I give to this church every week? Why is it that I allow my accountant and nearly all of his staff look at what I give to this church weekly? Why is it that I allow our treasurer and our finance team to see what I'm giving to the Lord in my offerings every week? Why is it that I allow the government and the IRS to know what I'm giving to the Lord? And only God knows what they're doing with that information. But yet, the people who need to know my heart don't have a clue. See, all those other people, they don't know my heart. They don't understand who I am at the core and how I love the Lord and love people and want to see them come to Christ. But you do. And I think, why shouldn't I let my faith family in on what should be the most important? I let all these secularists in on my checkbook. Why not let the church in on it? Now, let me say some things with a caveat. In no way do I expect this to be the culture of this congregation. This is a one-time affair, and it only comes from me. I want to encourage you, too, to keep this right here in the family, not out in the world. If this becomes the discussion of your lunch today, you've missed the point and the principles that Christ is sharing with you in Matthew chapter 6. But after praying about our offering and 
the way in which we make a calculated decision, God had laid in our heart to give this number each week over to the kingdom. And if you're a single-income family, we are a single-income family. The church probably pays me more than I deserve, but we don't live in luxury. And we make a calculated decision, a prayerful decision, a budgeted decision to each year give the majority of our money over to this investment because it's the best investment that we could possibly make in this world. Young people, listen closely. It's easier to establish the principle of Matthew 6 that Jesus is talking about now when you're young than it is when you're old. Now, as we make this journey together this month, here comes the real challenge. The real challenge is this. How much more am I going to invest into the kingdom? Friends, this isn't about equal gifts. This is about equal sacrifice. This is not about approaching a number or coming down from a number to approach mine. This is about what God's laid on your heart to do. Not equal gifts, equal sacrifice. If you're someone who offers God your finances as an act of worship, this challenge this month, you're going to be wrestling with God like Kelly and I are going to be wrestling too with you. If you're someone that doesn't make offering financial gifts as a part of your worship on a weekly basis, that question mark there is not expected of you. You need to wrestle first with what it is that you should be handing over to the Lord because our heart follows our money. So what do I do? What do you do? Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray this prayer with me. God, what do you want to do through me over the next three years? You see the question mark there? That's a question mark that Kelly and I will be praying about for some time. We'll be going through this devotional guide along hopefully with you starting tomorrow. My wife and I will find some days throughout the week where we can fast together from sun up to sundown. And then the sundown will probably break our fast because I'm a hungry man. But we're going to be going through this for the next 28 days. I know it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to look different for all of us. All of us are going to have some kind of different sacrifice. For some worshiping, God through giving isn't a part of your worship. I think the challenge... I think this challenge starts now for some of you. For others, though, it's about sacrifice. You understand it. To make more room at the table, you're going to have to build a bigger table and build more seats. And we all know that that takes some finances. And to do that, that's going to take some sacrifice on so many different levels by so many different people. And friends, we're all going to be challenged. And what I'm challenging to do is to read with me in this devotional guide Attend some of our prayer events that are scheduled throughout the next couple of weeks. Pray the prayer. Communicate to your spouse and make a commitment. Make a three-year commitment to what you can do to immeasurably more. See to it that God is going to do some major things through us and we want to make room at the table for others. This is a defining moment in the history of this church. And you get to be a part of it in order for us to plan and to make some dreams and to move forward, giving estimates are going to be necessary 
not for our good, mainly for the bank's good. They want us to give them a figure on what we perceive might happen within our congregation. And I'm asking all those that desire to participate in our Immeasurably More campaign to make a commitment pledge after prayer and place it in the offering on Sunday, October the 23rd. I know that this question mark of mine will mean giving some of my extra income. But if I look at my budget, my wife and I already looked around and said, how are we going to do this? When we did our first capital campaign to get into this building, we had some stocks that went north pretty quickly. Thank God for FedEx and thank God for Boeing. But too bad GM hit the tank because I lost a lot of money in that one. But we were able to pull that out before the financial crunch and we were able to give some of that money over to what God was doing through us. And this time it becomes a little bit more difficult because those stocks don't exist anymore. So what am I going to do now? Well, I know that I'm able to make a little bit extra income off of some speaking engagements. I know that I'm given an honorarium for the weddings that I perform and the funerals that I do. Some of your funerals that happen throughout this year, they're going to be bittersweet events for me because I'm going to say, oh, so sorry to see her pass, but you know what? She just invested into our capital campaign, which is pretty good. So I know that we're going to have to get serious about what that question mark looks for Kelly and I, and the prayer will be prayed along with you. God, what do you want to do through me? How can we do this? It doesn't look possible. We've already talked about it, that more than likely our Friday night dinners are going to be a thing of the past when it comes to going out to eat for the next three years. That's about $40 or so that we can do extra uh, in our giving. The Lord and I, we made an understanding a few months ago that he'll hold out my car to 200,000 miles. He's held up his end of the bargain, and my end of the bargain was, and I'll give the money that we've been saving for another used car over to our Measurably More campaign. The question that you might have is, why? Why would he do this? Why should I do it? Why would it be the desire of mine to invest into the ministry of Bethany Christian Church in such a way? Because there are immeasurably more Diane Richardson's who never had security in their faith until they found a place in this room and have now confidence to proclaim Christ and share their heart with complete strangers and get risky with their faith and putting their pride aside to tell others about the generous God that gave us His only Son, Jesus Christ. Because there are immeasurably more Bruce Aldersons in our community who have been in church since the day they were born, but yet are still hungry for God's word and want that preached to them every week and find a place at the table here and who love Christ's church with an unexplainable passion and has found a congregation that is true to scripture, that is authentic in leadership and has genuine ministries. Because there are more, immeasurably more, Adam Robinsons who believed and was baptized at Bethany in his early 20s and now has a desire to live for Christ the best way he knows how. That his selfish attitude has changed and now he's living for God and his young family has been totally changed by this. He met a Christian woman. He's a father now. He's been a father for two weeks. And that little boy gets an opportunity like Adam never had, a father who loves the Lord with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because there's a measurably more brandy downs who, who are addicted to anything other than God. 
and need God's Spirit in their life to grab hold of them so that they can too have a complete and very radical transformation with Christ being king over their life. Because there are immeasurably more of you. Tens and thousands of you who are in the darkness spiritually, who are lonely and depleted and depressed because they don't have the source of hope that you have. And we're making investments into God-ordained ventures so that God will do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Friends, generosity is so important to God. Generosity is at the heart of the gospel message. If you don't understand generosity, you probably don't completely understand the gospel. If you want to go back to what Jesus originally said about the summarization of why he came and who God is, you can go back to John chapter 3 and you can look at verse 16. The beginning part of that says, For God so loved the world that he that he gave. There's the generosity of God. He didn't give us his second best. He gave us his very best. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ. God's love was prompted to give to us. And we are very undeserving people. And yet God said, that doesn't matter. I'm going to throw my generosity out on you. I'm not going to hold back. The apostle Paul poignantly preached, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Would you read that last line with me? Starting from the last comma. So that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you notice that word there, might? Why might? Because it's not guaranteed. I've got to receive Christ. I've got to take hold of the gift that's being presented to me and claim Christ and receive the gift of God's generosity. And for many of you in this room, you became rich spiritually because Christ empties himself out on the cross and gave himself up. But there are some of you in this room today. You haven't received the gift of Jesus Christ. Now, who doesn't receive a gift? Anybody that has a rich uncle that passes away and knows that there is an inheritance that's going to be handed out goes to the estate meeting there in anticipation of what gifts might be given to them. And God says, I left you an inheritance. His name is Jesus. He's come to solve the biggest problem that you have in life. It's the sin problem. The sin, the things in life that you've done wrong that have kept me away from you. And Christ has come so that when you receive him and lay hold of that gift, the gift that's been offered with complete generosity, you'll be covered by his blood so that God will see you no longer as sinner, but as Tom simply stated, 
as saint. No, we don't deserve it. But most generous gifts are undeserved. And today, today is the day to take claim of Christ. To take hold of what has been generously given to you because he became poor so that you might become rich.